Good morning, everybody. Good morning, and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. I hope you're all having a great day out there. I've got a look. Yes, it's raining in Seattle. Guess what? Yeah. Woo-hoo. Oh, I am having a great day here over yeah. here, too. Thank you, Nathan. It's liquid sunshine. <laughs> yeah, it's always that way. So I hope everybody is having a great time. Nathan, did you have a great Thanksgiving, by the way? I did. It was nice and short and sweet. Kept it kind of simple, maybe about just six of us. Just a few families that joined in and very nice and relaxing and stress-free. Yeah, stress-free. Yeah, mine was the same way. Just uh, uh, immediate family members and some really great food and a lot of laughing. I don't know. It was must be all that with... turkey you ate. I know that turkey usually makes you like maybe sort of tired, but you know, maybe it's the dark meat makes you laugh or something like that, or the, as opposed to the I, white meat. I don't know. We did have our, our turkey naps, right? You know, so that happens after a while. It kind of puts you into a coma, <laughs> but uh, I think it was great. It was really, really wonderful. I hope everybody out there had a good time with their families. And of course, wow. We have entered December and lots of things going on this month. So anyway, I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis located right here in the greater Seattle area for the last 26, 27 years. We've been doing all kinds of things to try to lift you up. And of course, that's one of the goals of this radio show, too, is to give you kind of an oasis out of your life where you can renew yourself, refresh yourself, take a few moments and give those moments to yourself so that you can move forward in life. And so I also offer every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, a Sunday meditation with Loretta. This is just a little time for you to, like I say, check in with yourself, renew yourself, kind of reset yourself for the week. If you cannot join me at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, sign up anyway. I'll send you a recording of the meditation. You can listen to it anytime you want. You can sign up for everything that I offer at schedule.reikioasis.com and to my webmaster, Indigo Hawk, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You do things I don't understand and I do stuff that you don't understand. So we get along great. That's how that works. Um, I want to remind everybody that you can sign up for things, like I said, at schedule.reikioasis.com and I will be doing my end of the year prayer to the gods. And I do that every year where we say goodbye to the old year and we call in the new year. And uh, I'm only going to offer it once this year. It will be on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will be doing that via a Zoom call. Every year I get miraculous stories from people about what has happened when they have reset themselves, let those things go. And There's something very powerful about purposely intending or praying for what it is that we want to come in. And as we leave 2021 and go into 2022, I invite everybody to become very active participants of uh, the what I call the higher level of living. And let's let's do this. We can bring beautiful change to this world. We're being asked to live heart centered lives. We always wonder what that means. So anyway, um, we are into December. This month begins with Neptune stationing direct on December 1st, 
which was yesterday, it has been retrograde since June. When planets are retrograde, they're basically just asking us to look back across our life and see what has been going on. Neptune is the planet of spirituality and unconditional love. And like I said, it's been backwards since June, making us revisit our spirituality and love. Hmm. Energetically, Neptune is considered the higher octave of Venus, the planet of love, finances, and relationships. And as Neptune stations direct, its energy is intensified and we're able to tap into those higher dimensions of love with greater ease. Now, this may be something that will challenge us as we look at our areas of relationship and money and how we show up in the world. But of course, we're always on a path of higher evolution. On December 3rd, which is tomorrow, we have a new moon total solar eclipse. Yeah, in the sign of Sagittarius. Solar eclipses can sometimes zap our energy. So be patient and gentle with yourself and others during this time. And as the solar eclipse is the last in the cycle we've been working with since May of 2020, we may see the culmination of our rewards or feel that we have arrived at a new beginning in our lives. Sometimes uh, something may also be illuminated for us under this eclipse, helping us to take that final step into a new chapter. Eclipse energy can linger for over a month, so be patient with everything that is unfolding. I always tell people, you know, when I do astrology check-ins, we're just looking at the weather in the heavens. And remember that we are always greater than that. And it's not, not it, nothing is actually a, a light switch on the wall. You know, if the energies change, then that just simply gives us an opportunity to work with whatever it is that comes in. December also brings the rare cosmic event of Venus retrograde. Venus enters retrograde only ever 18 months or so. So when it does, we tend to feel its effects very strongly. And then as I said earlier, Venus rules love, relationships, money, and the things that we value. And so at these times, we, like I said, we're being asked to follow our hearts, to live heart-centered living. What is your heart saying to you? What is it calling? What does it want to express? And what would happen if you lived from the heart, from love, lived on purpose rather than from fear? So it's a great segue for my two wonderful guests today. I'm very glad to have them. I'm honored and thrilled. And so my guests today are Judith Valente and Paul Quinon, and they have written a beautiful, wonderful book. It's actually an easy read, kind of a deep, easy read. And the book is called How to Be. A monk and a journalist reflect on living and dying, purpose and prayer, forgiveness and friendship. It's a spellbinding dialogue between two spiritual seekers from very different lives struggling to come to terms with the big issues that everyone faces, such as faith, mortality, mystery, prayer, work, and so forth. Judith Valente is a former staff writer for the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and a finalist for Pulitzer Prize in journalism. Brother Paul Quinon, OCSO, entered the Trappist Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky 
1958 at the age of 17, where Thomas Merton was his novice master and spiritual director. Welcome to the show, both of you. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Loretta. For those people on, on live YouTube, here is the book, How to Be. And like I say, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful book. It's actually letters that they have written to each other that are, I don't know, I really enjoyed reading them. I felt like they were very intimate and I was looking into a very dear and sacred relationship between the two of you, a friendship. Yeah. So um, I want to fill in, uh, provide a little groundwork for my listeners. And I would like each of you to introduce yourselves and tell me how you got into what you do, what you're doing. How did you, how did you get here? And um, Judith, why don't you start? Okay, thanks, Loretta. It's an honor to be here. Um, well, first of all, I've been, I was a journalist most of my career, as, as you mentioned in your introduction. And how I met Brother Paul was I was covering faith and values for PBS TV, a program called Religion and Ethics News Weekly, which was on you know hundreds of PBS stations across the country. And I was sent to the Abbey of Gethsemane to do a piece on the enduring legacy of Thomas Merton. So I asked if there was a monk there who actually knew Merton, who was still alive. And I was directed to this gentleman that you see here, Brother Paul Quinnen, uh, who had been a young novice in, in the monastic life under Merton. And um, I would say our connection was very rapid and very strong. Uh, we both write poetry. We're both poets as well. You know, I was a journalist, but also I was a poet first. And... Um, we connected on that level and uh, began writing, believe it or not, a haiku a day to each other, which is a three-line Japanese poem. And then we put those together with reflections, short reflections for busy people, and wrote a book called The Art of Pausing, Meditations for the Overworked and Overwhelmed, and um, just kept in touch. And of course, during the pandemic, we couldn't visit each other, so our letters to each other stepped up. And Brother Paul was writing such fascinating and deep things, uh, not only about the spiritual life, but practical things about, you know, struggles at, at his work, which I was having some struggles in my work at the time at an NPR station. And I thought, you know, these, these letters should be read by more than me. And that was the genesis of the book that you so kindly uh, held up there, How to Be a monk and a journalist reflect on living and dying, purpose in prayer, forgiveness in friendship. So I'll stop there and let Brother Paul tell you his, his story. Well, uh, I believe in going with the flow and what comes my way is a gift from God. And this was a, an especially large gift. And it gave me an opportunity to uh, really express a lot of things that uh, I just keep in my mind, but I don't really have much of an opportunity to write them out and share with another person. And that's been a, a real gift. You know, one of the most important things you can do for another person is to listen. Well, Judith has listened to me. And uh, uh, so we have the fruit of a mutual listening. That is beautifully said. Um... I was thinking when you were both talking, you know, when I was a little girl, 
uh, we used to have pen pals, right? And you would get the name of this person, this child that you didn't know, like I had a pen pal in Japan, right? And we would write letters to each other and how fun it was because I'm old enough, that was before all this technology, right? I know the two of you share that. And how fun it was to write letters and to get a letter in the mail. And um, I kind of want to just comment a little bit on the lost art of letter writing. Um, I had Amit Goswami on my show a while back and he said, Loretta, the, the attention span has dropped so low that the attention span of the normal person is about one and a half seconds. And <laughs> I'm, I'm like, wow. And we have perhaps, you know, I, I was talking to someone also who said that they realized that their child didn't know how to address an envelope. So could you talk just a little bit about the lost art of letter writing, whether it's through the mail or email? I don't actually know if you guys sent each other letters or emailed. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, letters, letters are like heirlooms we keep. Um, they're, they're almost little private diaries that we, we share. And there's a difference between an email that you send, even if it's a long email, it's a, it's a message. It's trying to get information across. A letter is more like communion between two people. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, we can, you know, we introduce ourselves in letters. We say goodbye in letters. Uh, we, we ask for forgiveness in letters. Uh, you know, letters are a much more intimate form of communication and communion. And I think Twitter and email have made us, in general, a less literate society. And, yeah. you know, one, one of our goals with this book was to try to jumpstart interest again in the art of letter writing. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. Brother Paul, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I, I find it a spiritually wholesome thing to uh, devote that much attention and care and reflection to writing a letter. Yeah. Uh, and you're not just writing in a journal with things that you write for yourself, but you're writing it for another person. So in a way, you have to objectify and uh, you have to give some serious uh, uh, consideration, you know, ahead of time. Uh, you you, you kind of have to mull over what you're going to say and then then put it down um, in, in a way that the other person can uh, appreciate and, and feel. And um, it's, it's been a wonderful experiment. Yeah, I, I love it. I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, because I do a lot of things on the computer and uh, even in the old days, right? The old days, it sounds so funny to say that, um, to to literally write it, handwrite it, you know, longhand, we used to call it, onto a page, you really, really thought about what you were going to put on there because you didn't want to scratch, scratch it all out. Now on the computer, we can go back and, and edit and move around. But Brother Paul, I love what you said there because yeah to letter write i and, and i'll ask ask you do you feel that you shared things in letters because honestly i do when i write letters i have to think about it and i'll go oh that's not quite right so did you share deeper things through 
the letter writing than you might have shared in conversation. Oh, oh yes, I, I think that was part of the purpose, really, um, to um, you know give ourselves an opportunity to uh, you know show the fruits of the spirit <clears throat> and to to let that come forth which the spirit is gestating within us. You know, the two of you come from such different lives and uh, I'm trying to figure out how to bring this out. I mean, it's in the title of, of your book, right? Uh, you reflect on living and dying, purpose and prayer, forgiveness and friendship, but you literally cover the topics that we all face. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna ask this question, um, you know, Brother Paul, you have been in a monastic life <laughs> since the age of 17, right? And first of all, I want to ask you, what drew you to that? And also, the second question is super big and might take us a while to explore it. What are some of the things that you can bring to us out here living our, our secular lives, right? to help us navigate this world that we find ourselves in? Well, um, I, I think one of the important things, I'll answer the second question first and then okay. maybe move to the, to the first question. And um, the whole problem of navigating is life puts pressure on us and we have to, as it were, uh, ride the waves, so to speak. Well, uh, it's very important to uh, to come to another level uh, of um, experience, which you can only come to by way of silence and solitude. And most people do not allow themselves that kind of time and um, really um, intentional uh, uh, approach to, to giving themselves an opportunity to simply get out of that flow and spend time in quiet. Now, that way, if, if you can experience the, the opposite of that kind of pressure, you're much more likely able to experience the pressure in a wholesome and uh, uh, beneficial way, if not fruitful. And so, you know, it requires a certain amount of practice. You know, uh, you have to practice quiet time, uh, meditation or scripture reading. Um, all these things are just kind of basic uh, uh, observances of the monastic life, reading scripture, uh, Lectio Divina, spiritual reading of whatever. And, uh, and then prayer, and of course we pray, you know, seven times a day in choir and plus the mass. So those, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a spiritual uh, state of luxury. So <laughs> you might call it that. I mean, so, so, uh, so such advent, advantage that we are, we are in. Um, and that's, you know, really what attracted me to the monastery that it, it gets, it was a life in which I could, oh, come to a kind of constant awareness of God. You know, Christ says, pray con constantly. 
well, that doesn't mean you're saying prayers, but that helps. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's, it's a matter of not, um, not kidding yourself that you are actually alone when you think you're alone. You're not. Uh, there is that, pres that hidden presence which is maybe beyond your current thoughts or state of mind, but that's where faith comes in. You, you have to, as it were, you know, come to direct, you know, acknowledgement of something that you can't see. And so, you know, that's, fortunately, yeah, I, I had read enough about the monastic, monastic life to, to be attracted to it, the imitation of Christ, which is a uh, Thomas Akempis uh, wrote that, and it's a classic, and it's been around since the late Middle Ages. And then another thing was Thomas Merton's uh, Seven Story Mountain, in which he, uh, you know, his, his conversion, and then his uh, decision at a monastery, and something of his uh, experience there. So all that sort of uh, set a direction and uh, and a real aspiration in my heart you said so much in there um yeah you said so much in there i i want to uh go back through a couple of things i i have kind of a <laughs> sense of humor right so when the pandemic set, uh started and we were all you know sent home go home i i had this joke that mother had sent us to our rooms to you know, think about how we were behaving, right? <laughs> that was my mother. And, um, but yeah, this, this opportunity uh, of contemplation, you know, you said seven times a day, and I did think what a luxury, and then you said that, and I went, wow, what would happen in our lives if seven times a day, we just took a moment and, you know, tuned into that? you know, what would that do to our lives, right? Um, Judith, I think you talk about seven sacred pauses. Is that based off of this same concept? Right, exactly. The, you know, the seven sacred pauses, just taking a pause in your life would be a simple discipline that busy people like you and I, Loretta, who live in the, you know, the very hectic secular world can do. Simply taking intentional pauses in our days and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the pandemic because something that I thought about as well, like you, is, you, you know, people were so angry about having to stay home and having to have to stay in one place, in a stable place. And I maintained it was because so many of us can't stand to be with ourselves. We've never learned how to be alone with ourselves. And I maintain that you can't become the person fully the person you're meant to be until you are at home with yourself and able to remain with yourself in solitude and silence. And you feel that very much in monasteries. So I think of monasteries for someone who lives on the outside, unlike Brother Paul, as he said, he has the luxury of you know living this contemplative life day in and day out where there's these built-in pauses, these built-in prayer times built-in times for meditation. You know, I maintain that, you know, we go, we go to uh, monasteries, people like myself and yourself in the secular life, like, uh, like electric cars at a charging station. You know, we go there to, 
to get our batteries recharged because sometimes it is really hard to take time for um, contemplation, meditation, silence and solitude because we're constantly being distracted. There's constant demands on us, family demands, work yeah. demands. And so we, we need to sometimes go to a monastic environment to get our batteries recharged and then come back out into the world. And one other quick thing, um, you know, Brother Paul taught me this. He said, you know, people say, what's contemplation? How, you know, how do you become more contemplative? And Brother Paul said something to me once that really stuck with me. He said, contemplation is just a big fat word for gratitude. So, so walking around and, you know, this is what, this is a simple practice. Walk around in your life, be grateful. You know, when you put your hand on your heart, be grateful for your heart. When you're breathing, breathing in and out, be grateful for that breath that keeps you alive. You know, when you wake up in the morning, be grateful for that light that you see. You know, there's so many simple things we could do without moving into a monastery or an ashram uh, forever. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of giggling. Yeah, big fat word for being grateful. Yeah, yeah, being grateful. I think it actually changes everything. And um, it's kind of funny. I was walking the other uh, morning. I love to walk in the morning. Even if it's raining, I just walk. And I was looking around and thinking, you know, I should just be grateful for all this. And it really did. It shifted me really quickly. And I recognized it. And I went, oh, I feel completely different. It was that gratitude. I love what you said at the beginning of our conversation about being aware of the planets and what's going on with the sun and the moon. We just had a, a lunar eclipse where, you know, where I live that was visible. And, you know, one of the things that got me through the pandemic was just going outside at night and looking up at the stars and looking up at the moon and the planets and realizing, you know, they've been there for eons and eons. They've seen everything. Yeah. They've seen all kinds of plagues and wars and, you know, it gave me this sense of stability and that I could get through this, you know, that this, the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets were go still going to be there, even amid all of this chaos. And, and that was a comfort. It gave me hope and it gave me a comfort during the pandemic it still, and still does. I, I love what you said. Um, we're going to go to a break in a moment, but I, I do chanting, right? And I always my teacher always uh, gave me the idea that to remember that even when you're not chanting it's still going on there's a river of consciousness from all of those who have been praying and chanting and putting that out there and and it is that eternal thread uh, just like what you said judith where yeah i love this idea if we look up there the sun and the moon and the stars have seen it all and they're still hanging up there <laughs> Maybe there's hope for us, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, this is Loretta Brown. We're going to take a little station break. Uh, my wonderful guests today, Judith Valente and Brother Paul Quinon, their new book, How to Be a Monk and a Journalist. Reflect on living and dying, purpose and prayer, forgiveness and friendship. And please don't go away. When we come back, we're going to even get deeper into these wonderful conversations. We'll be right back. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, 
grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. During the COVID-19 pandemic, it's important to take steps to help stop the spread. Follow five tips to help protect yourself and others. One, wear a mask. Two, practice social distancing. Stay at least six feet apart from others. Three, wash hands with soap and water. Four, if you have symptoms, stay home. Five, get vaccinated as soon as you can. Together, we can help stop the spread. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Great choice of music, Nathan. We got to live before we die. I love that. Yeah. So welcome back to the original Loretta Brown show. And believe it or not, ha, I'm the original Loretta Brown. That's how that goes. (laughs) My guests today, Judith Valente and Brother Paul Quinan, we're talking about their new book, How to Be a Monk and a Journalist, reflecting on living and dying, purpose and prayer, forgiveness and friendship. And uh, Brother Paul, I want to kind of finish. uh, During the break, I was asking you about people coming into the monastery. And uh, I'm kind of I was thinking about this when you were talking about how you basically were called to go in there. And um, uh, I, I just want to find out, are people still coming in to the monastery? And yeah, I'll let you answer that question. Yes, uh, we still have people applying to the monastery. And it's a rather a long procedure, at least one year, uh, to go through the interviews and uh, tests and things like that. And then to spend some time in the monastery itself uh, to experience it and to work with the monks and uh, go attend choir. Uh, and we have, you know, uh, you know, maybe five or six people lined up uh, and making application. Uh, we just had one a young man, well, he's, he's middle aged in his 40s, uh, took his temporary vows this year and then a uh, Previously this year, we had two um, men uh, under the age of 40 who took their solemn vows. So they're here, they're here for keeps. <laughs> I like that. They're there for keeps. Um, can you share with us a little bit about what life is like for you? And also, because you and Judith, your friendship is so unusual, how, how does that how, how does that work in your in your contemplative life? How, how do you make friends? Yeah. Well, um, life, you know, in a way, it's monastery seems like a very romantic place to live, you know, it's different, and we're out in the country, and you have uh, music, uh, uh, you know, the choirs is good, the liturgy is beautiful. Uh, we have uh, lots of reading material time for quiet, time for reading, 
all those things uh, everybody should have in life, as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's unfortunate uh, uh, that uh, they uh, they don't take, take avail themselves of what what's what's can be had in the world and avail themselves of the monasteries that still, still exist. Um, so all of that, as I say, is somewhat romantic. But you know the the, the thing is. Um, after you go, you know, get used to it. You you go through the routine. Um, you're you're reduced to your ordinariness, and that's where you meet the word incarnate. And to a great extent, it's just kind of uh, um, routine. It, it it may not be terribly exciting, uh, and that's the way it should be. We we come. We, we leave the world in order to draw inward, you know, to, to live uh, an inward life and live with yourself and, and in the presence of God. Well, that can be uh, an experience of poverty, really. You begin to experience your own inner poverty, your limitations, for one thing. And just the fact that you're living in a mystery you don't really understand. It, it's not something... You, you can easily explain to anybody else. Uh, we kind of have an implicit understanding with one another that uh, what we're what we're going about in our lives. Um, but and, you, uh, and as the rule of Saint Benedict says, you know, a monk, sh a man should be seeking God or a woman, truly seeking God. That's the criterion for entering the monastery. Well, you know. God doesn't just appear in a blaze of glory every day, and maybe never, or maybe once or twice. <laughs> uh, and and then you just live with the, as Emily Dickinson talks about the, uh, uh, the crumb on the table, which is the consciousness of God. I love that, the crumb on the table. Yeah, um, there is a sign above your Abbey's entrance, which reads God alone. Are we touching on that? We talk about the crumb on the table. What does that mean? Oh, yes. Well, God, uh, you know, we um, we leave family and friends and um, devote ourselves to to seeking God alone. That is, God is is the first, you know, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all the rest will be added to you. But you have to seek first the kingdom of heaven and God, God, there's, there's no parallel to God. There's no equal to God. That, that's the primary thing. And of course, it's, it's primary in a way that you can't really compare it with anything else. Uh, you begin mm -hmm. to find that. Uh, but as, as I say, the uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be added to you. Well, I've had a, a huge amount added to my life. Uh, I've been here over 62 years and, uh, and Judith is one of them. I mean, as I say, you, 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 things come your way and you learn how to go with the flow if it looks like it's going to be, you know, fruitful or beneficial or uh, of, of, of uh, help to other people. That's what I've done, and that's uh, that's how I come. Judith and I have uh, continued to be really connected. 
So talk to me a little bit more and, and uh, Judith, I'm going to uh, refer to you and of course, Brother Paul, jump in there anytime you want. Uh, talk to me a little bit more. So you, you met Brother Paul through something you were doing with PBS. And then this developed into, like you said, you had an immediate connection. But talk to me a little bit more about how your friendship developed. Um, you know, your book talks about everything. And how did all of this come about? I mean, I think you understand what I'm asking. Go yes. deeper into this friendship. Well, you, yeah, uh, yeah you mentioned about uh, letter writing being a different form of communication than many, many ways we communicate today. And I think, um, you know, the letters freed me to talk to Brother Paul about things going on in my life that I wasn't even talking to my husband about, who's my best friend and, and confidant in so many ways. Um, there was something about, as you say, actively sitting down and putting words on paper that was a very conscious and intentional act. Um, another thing that connected Brother Paul and I, in addition to poetry, is that Many, many lay people like myself, and, and it, it's becoming apparent like yourself as well, uh, are interested in living a more contemplative, mindful, intentional life, a more reflective life. And in fact, uh, an interesting phenomenon is that there are now more lay associates of monasteries than there are monks and monastic sisters living within monastery walls. And why are we attracted to this? I think we're attracted to it because we we understand that there's got to be more to life than you know running to work every day, running to the supermarket, heating your food up at night, and eating quickly, and sitting in front of the you know the 59 or well 59 the 259 cable <laughs> channels that that are out there. That there's got to be something more to life than that, and. You know, what are we attracted to? Well, how would I summarize what are monastic values? Brother Paul mentioned listening. You know, I would say that's the first one, that the, the monastic rule, which is based on something that St. Benedict wrote 1,600 years ago. The first word of the rule of St. Benedict, the monastic rule, is listen. Listen with the ear of the heart, St. Benedict says. And then secondly, community tremendous hungering for community out there in our world today. I mean, all this divisiveness is, 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 I think, forcing people to look for where they can find true community. So hospitality, uh, humility, simplicity, consensus, prayer and praise. You know, I think praise is a very important thing. It gets back to that idea of gratitude, the simple the simple practice of gratitude in your life. So we connected as well because I was interested in, you know, this, what St. Bernard of Clairvaux called the real behind the real of life. And maybe it was because I was a journalist for many years and I was taught to, you know, to look for the real behind the real, the real story, the story behind the story, we used to call it. Yeah. So I think we connected on a, on a deeper level, and even even deeper than our poetry connection. I love what you said, and all of those things that you listed, um, I have particularly noticed. Of course, through my years of working with people, um, those things are in, uh, invaluable. But the last couple of years, especially the last year, 
much of this has really come to the forefront for us. You know, as we've been isolated, separated, or what I call the divisive narratives, um, you know, underneath all of that, I'm like, but if we're going to continue on on this planet, we've got to figure out how to come back together. And I think it is those simple things. It's like, come back to the basics. Uh, just come back to the basics. Uh, Brother Paul, I think that you you do things, as you say, you do work. You work with the hands. Can you talk a little bit about what that is like for you? And, and maybe it could even inspire people listening, you know, because I've got people that are returning to gardening and all kinds of things. But please go ahead. Yes. Well, I've been cooking over 53 years. And uh, <laughs> right now, I daily, I cook for about 80 people. And uh, that's down from what it used to be. I mean, it used to be like 120 people. I would. It's not just the community, but it's also also those who are here on retreat. So uh, they get the same meal that we get, except they they we add meat for their meal. The monks don't eat meat. So um, that is, in a way, it's a time to forget yourself. Um, it's. Um, it's a good spiritual practice if you simply pay attention to what you're doing. As the Desert Father said, do what you are doing. Now, uh, that in itself is a form of prayer. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's, you know, it's focusing, you know, it's, it's concentration. Well, you might be uh, uh, feeling that's not quite enough. And a lot of times I'm just kind of like saying the Jesus prayer uh, the prayer of the heart, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, son of a living God. I like to say now, um, Adonai, Jesus anointed is the way I say it now. It's just, I, I'm experimenting with that recently. So, uh, and then gardening, I, I do, when I don't have to go to cook, I, uh, I like to do some work in the garden. And, uh, you know, that's, the nice thing about cooking is very physical. Uh, you're dealing with materials, you know, uh, organic materials from the, some of it's from our garden and you're trans, you're changing it, you know, you're making a difference. And then immediately it goes into somebody's stomach. <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there's that, that unspoken ingredient, right? You know, cause my big joke is that my sister's superpower is making lemon pie. And I don't know, I could stand right next to her and I make lemon soup. She makes lemon pie. I don't know what happens there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. So this idea that the, the contemplative life and the, I'll call it the mundane life or our, our secular life, right? That they're related to each other or that they have something to offer each other. Um, speak to that a little bit. And, and Judith, I saw you nodding your head. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. No, I think that, um, we could, we could, we could bring these monastic practices into our own lives. As I said, the, the pausing, the taking time to be silent during your day. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of effort to do that. It doesn't take a lot of time just to, just to take periods of, of silence. I worked in a busy newsroom, an NPR affiliate. In here in Illinois, where I where I live, and sometimes I would just escape to the stairwell, 
just for some moments of quiet and contemplation. So, you know, I didn't have to run to a church. I didn't have to find a park. I just found my quiet spot within the environment that I was in. And, you know, so I think those pauses during the day are very important. Um, Learning to be silent, learning to be alone with yourself. All of that are things that, that we can do on a daily basis that that don't take a lot of, of time and effort. And something I think about a lot, and I don't think Brother Paul mentioned this, but, but, but is mind, body, spirit. Um, he takes, he hikes every day, I think, you know, several miles a day. And I think, um, you know, just, just getting outside, doing some mm. something physical is an important spiritual practice. Mine is Zumba. I love Zumba, <laughs> Zumba fitness because it's, it's, it's dance really. And you don't feel like you're exercising. You feel like you're dancing and dance right. is, uh, is something brother Paul recommends something we've done together in outside in the grass and the rain, we've danced together. Um, you know, I mean, just doing simple things that you don't, you know, you don't have to go on some big trip to India to an ashram or something to do these things. I think that's a really important point, especially with uh, limitations in travel and so forth, right, that we're running into. Um, Is there anything particular that you would like to bring out that is in the book, right? Because there's so much in there. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Well, my answer would probably be different from Brother Paul, so I hope you'll ask him too. And I, I really like that there's a lot of practical information in this book. I mean, I talked to him about very ordinary day-to-day struggles. For example, I was having trouble at the NPR station I was working it at. I had a great news director that I got along with great, you know, for my first five years there. And then we had a, a change in news directors and it was like, you know, we couldn't see eye to eye at all with my new boss. And I know that people have had issues like this in their work. And I talked to Brother Paul a lot about that, about, you know, should I leave my, you know, should I leave this good job with good salary and benefits to sort of step off, step off a cliff, you know, (laughs) step into the unknown. And what was great was he wrote back to me about his struggles um, in his work in the kitchen. And when, you know, there came a period when he felt really burnt out and he had to ask the abbot, to if he could if the abbot of his monastery could find him another job and i found that very helpful and then i think also uh you know i'm you know i always thought of myself as somebody who never took an aspirin you know uh you know never had any you know any health problems and suddenly i was faced with with a health challenge in the past two years and talking to brother paul about that i mean fortunately it, it ended up being not not anything serious not anything that as as was seriously thought to begin with and talking to brother paul about you know handling handling that and the importance of praying for other people when you're going through these challenges taking the focus off yourself is something that he and i corresponded with so there's a lot of practical things in the book um, that I think people would identify with. And, and, uh, I am going to ask uh, brother Paul, the same question, but you also went through breast cancer. Well, it you? was, it was an original, originally I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then thankfully I went up to Mayo clinic in Rochester, Minnesota for a second opinion. And the first words out of their mouths were, you do not have breast cancer. 
it was something else. It was an irregularity um, of cells, but it was not cancer. Um, there were, you know, sometimes we have cells that uh, don't behave as, as normal, but it doesn't mean that it's cancer. And so I can't say enough about getting that second opinion to women who are out there. And Mayo Clinic is is the place. I mean, they're I think they're the best in the world. And and you know, now I'm back to knock wood, you know, Zumba five times a week and <laughs> um, you know, feeling it, it almost gave gave me a, a new lease on life, um, really, uh, yeah. when I went up there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we could talk more about that, but I want to go back to Brother Paul. So is there anything particularly from the book that you would like to bring out for the listeners? Yes, well, we talked about death, uh, and I think that was a very significant conversation because uh, Judith admitted she was afraid of death. And I, I, over the correspondence, I, I saw a change in her attitude as, as we went on. And of course, I had my oldest brother had died uh, early on in our uh, in our correspondence, and um, there was some discussion about resurrection uh, along with that. And so I've been thinking about resurrection for a, a long time. I mean, I did my thesis and made. In, in theology, uh, really on the theme of, of resurrection. And, you know, a lot of ideas in my mind, uh, just kind of my way of, of reflecting on it, have never, I've never had an opportunity to express them the way I did in the book. And some of it uh, might be too deep for some people, but if you don't go, go too deep a little bit, people won't take you seriously. <laughs> so. <laughs> but I've had compliments about uh, those passages too. So it, it's, uh, you know, that's kind of deep. You know, that's something pretty deep. And people don't talk about the resurrection. They'll talk about reincarnation. Uh, but uh, what do we mean by resurrection here? We are Christians. Uh, and it's not one of those things that, uh, you know, we talk about dying and going to heaven. Uh, that's kind of, you know, and that's part of the whole scenario. But, but uh Resurrection, it's a very, you know, there's no easy answers about that one. I, um, I, I just want to say this. Um, Brother Paul, I want to thank you for doing this uh, contemplative life for all the rest of us. I know that sounds funny, but like when I go and I hear great singers sing, I go, thank you for singing for me, right? Because I can't do that, right? But there is something to that and, and your ability to spend the time in that contemplation, I think, has deep value, deep value for the rest of us. So uh, what you what you bring forth, I think we do need to take a look at that. So thank you for that. Um, I had a question that went right out of my head, um, which is not uncommon. I wanted to say this, too, you know, because I was talking earlier about the synchronicities. I think that was before we got on to uh, the show live and um, my life verse is the Sikhi first verse. Yeah, I adopted that as my life uh, verse when I was 17. So there's something about the age of 17, right? And of course, I'm not living the same life as you, Brother Paul, but definitely out there. And, and, and Judith, I definitely relate to this idea of lay associates, right? 
and how we want to uh, combine that in. I wanted to ask both of you, and I'm I'm watching our time close. What is what do you hope readers will take away from this book? It could be a spiritual takeaway. It could be a, a, a daily life takeaway. And I'm asking each of you. So, um, Judith, I'll have you go first, and then Brother Paul. Well, very very briefly and very simply. Um, my hope is that people will read it and begin a, a, a spiritual correspondence with some trusted spiritual advisor or trusted friend. I, I hope they'll be inspired to do something like Brother Paul and I did because it's a it's a wonderful spiritual practice. It doesn't cost anything. It costs the the, the, the price of a postage stamp and uh, or nothing if you email the letter. You know, if you write the letter and then email it as an attachment. So maybe to, to try what, the, what Thomas Merton called an apostolate of friendship. That's what he called his letter writing. I love that. And Brother Paul, what do you hope people take away from this book? Well, I would certainly agree with Judith. Uh, that's an important thing. But, um, you know, we're talking about our personal lives. We're talking about our spiritual experiences. and meditation, prayer, uh, how we've experienced these things. And I, I think one of the good things will be that people will read it and say, oh, I'm not the only one like that. You know, or, or, or I, I can see, you know, this, this is just part of the, the whole process. I love that. So um, where can they find you? Where can they find your book? Well, everywhere, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, IndieBound.org is where you can order it from your independent bookstores. And we, we highly recommend people supporting their independent bookstores in their community. Uh, the bookseller in Chicago, C-E-L-L-A-R, and Women and Children First in Chicago are two independent stores that have been very, very good to, to me on my books and to to many, many writers, so I recommend them as well. They're on the internet. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is Loretta Brown. You can find me at ReikiOasis.com. My guest today, Judith Valente, brother Paul Quinon, OCSO, their new book, How to Be a Monk and a Journalist. Reflect on living and dying, purpose and prayer, forgiveness and friendship. Just get the book now, check them out, and um, blessings to everybody. The two of you, thank you so much.